So, we are in part two of a three-week look at the question, Who am I in Christ? And today, our topic is, I am safe. This uh, Bible study can be found uh, in the Freedom Book that we're going through. I find that to be really helpful. I want to start uh, with the the context of most of our uh, verses this morning come to us from Romans. Uh, The book of Romans in your Bible, um, a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit that Paul wrote to believers not too different from you and I um, living in the city of Rome. And in that letter, we have a few key thoughts that have already been expressed. Uh, One is, hey, everyone has messed up and needs a Savior. And that God has already showed us real love through the Savior, Jesus Christ. That through Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness that is available. And that in this spiritual journey, we might find ourselves in a place of wanting to do the right thing, and yet missing the mark. Not wanting to do the wrong thing and yet missing the mark. And we are need, in need of a Savior. That's where we, uh, the context that we start off with, it, some of the verses that we're going to look at in Romans chapter 8. As Chiquetta articulated very well in our time of communion, God has offered us salvation, which is a forgiveness of Sin, where we've missed the mark, a removal of guilt, a cleansing from that filth. And and all of us, if we're honest, have made mistakes and have felt guilt. And God is wanting to cleanse us from that, bring us into relationship with Him, offering us really a new spiritual heart, new spiritual life. And so before we even get into this morning's message, I just want to directly connect with what we just talked about in that truth. And if you've not already received Jesus as your Savior, give you an opportunity to do that because everything else we're going to talk about is in response to that. Are you with me? And there's certainly a whole lot to it. And we we offer the Purple Book and other resources to help walk through uh, what this truth is, what it means, help to find answers to any of the questions that you have. But if you're here and you already know enough, you have already experienced enough, you've already heard enough, and you're in that place of wanting to accept Jesus as Savior, it would be a mistake to not just pause so that you can do that here and now. So why don't we just have a, a, a moment of prayer? You're here and you're in that place. You're ready to confess where you've been wrong. To look to Jesus as Savior, to rely on Jesus as Savior, asking for God's forgiveness, turning away from your past, and turning to Jesus. I'll just invite you to do that here and now, one-on-one with God. There's no magic words, but there is power in Jesus. And if you're in that place, I want you to feel free to repeat this prayer after me, if you're already a Jesus follower, just to, and in a way of encouraging them, why don't you repeat this prayer after me? Dear Lord Jesus, 
I believe that you died for me. I confess my sin. Forgive me. Jesus, be my Lord. Be my Savior. I turn away from the past and I turn to you. Thank you. Amen. Isn't that good? Are you thankful for forgiveness this morning? Are you thankful for new spiritual life? This is a good thing. We start in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, which says to Jesus believers, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Meaning, our mistakes, which can become self-destructive patterns, which when we have not accepted salvation in Jesus, we are compelled to repeat. When I come to Jesus for salvation, I'm free from that. Because of the power of God. Because of the love of God. This is good news. It's not because I work harder. It's not because I try harder. It is what God has already made available. This is good news. So who I am in Jesus is free from condemnation. I'm free from that. It's in the past. It's in the rearview mirror. It doesn't affect me anymore. This can be tough because we can find it in our human state as difficult to trust God. And I think one of the reasons for that is that we have a lot of good questions, reasonable questions. Am I safe with God? Can God be trusted? What is God thinking about me? How does God today feel about me? What can I expect from a relationship with God? Have you ever tried wasabi? Not too different from the color of this sanctuary. Now that I, now that I, I always think about the color of these walls as more like a daiquiri ice that you get at Baskin Robbins. But today it kind of strikes me as wasabi. You remember the first time you tried wasabi? Some of you have not had that experience yet, so you're looking at me a little blankly. Wasabi has a wow factor, and once you have tried wasabi. You know what to expect from wasabi. Are you with me? And, and, and I can see from the looks on the faces around this room, some of us like wasabi more than others. Some of us like a little wasabi, some of us like a lot of wasabi. <laughs> but I, I, I know, once I've had the experience, I know what to expect from wasabi. And one of the reasons that we have a hard time trusting people and also have a hard time trusting God is that we don't know what to expect from them. And the reason that we're doing this in conjunction with what we're doing in the Freedom Book and this Bible study, the reason this three-part series is rich in Scripture is because I'm wanting to help you to know what to expect from God. 
The reality is that in the scripture, there are many, many thousands upon thousands of people who recorded what they experienced from God, what they learned of God, how they came to a place of knowing what to expect in a relationship with God. And one of the only reasons I'm here today is that I have found God to be reliably wonderful, reliably good, trustworthy. And through much inspection, reading, prayer, testing, listening to others, for myself personally, have come to no longer be insecure about who God is and what God is like. And that has dramatically affected my personal identity and my personal level of insecurity. It's possible to experience this positive change. And that's what it is. It's, it's life-changing. We see even from this, this first verse, this first statement, God gives freedom, not a surprise judgment. It's easy for us to think of the angry man in the sky with a crazy-looking beard waiting to smack us around. Maybe because we've had that experience from humans. But that's not what God is like. And this turning point in the letter to the Romans, we see there is now no condemnation. Uh, myself and I'm sure others here have memorized this verse to retrain our brains in what to expect from God. We've memorized this verse to help us remove the culture of shame from where we are. Boy, this is good stuff. So, here's our second thought, going to, towards the end of the chapter of Romans 8. Which, verse 28 says this, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. So from this, we can be assured of this truth. With, when we're thinking about, who am I? In Jesus, and because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, well, I'm assured that all things work together for good, meaning God has the future figured out. There's nothing that you might feel anxious about in the future that God doesn't already have a solution for, have an idea about. God is already there. God is not overwhelmed by it, is not anxious about it. God works everything together for our good. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 34 says this. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else who dares accuse us, whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. That's why we can say in our personal identity, I am free from any condemning charges against me. It's time for us to hit the delete button on the judgmental voice in our heads. Some of you look like that might have been a 
little too strong a statement. It's true. It's helpful. Not every voice in your head is trustworthy. Thank you, Pastor Ben, for saying that. That was really helpful. (laughs) Sorry. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39 says this. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons. Neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So from this verse, we can confidently say about ourselves and our identity and relationship to Jesus Christ, I cannot be separated from the love of God. Nothing in this life can take away God's love for me. Some of us are sick and tired today, have been sick and tired recently, sick and tired like I'm miserable, I feel like death. Guess what? When we feel like this, We have not been separated from the love of God. What we're going through is real. And sometimes what we need to do is reorient our focus. Philippians 1 verse 6 says this. I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. It's so encouraging for me to know that I'm not the one who does the heavy lifting in character development in my life. No, God is the one with most of the power. God is the one who is always at work. And so with confidence, I can say, I'm confident that the good work God has begun in me will be completed. I don't know about you, but I have many times been discouraged by my own mistakes, by mistakes that I repeat, and have much needed the encouragement to know that God is at work. The most powerful one, the all-powerful one, God is at work in my character development. So check this. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. Oops, did I miss one? Oh, okay, I got them out of order in my notes. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. We are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. So in our identity, it's reasonable for us as Jesus followers to say, I'm a citizen of heaven. My identity is to my heavenly citizenship first. And all us U.S. citizens say, thank God. No matter what happens here and now, I'm a citizen of heaven first. It's the most important. It's the first thing in my life. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
but of power and love and a sound mind, which is an ability to control our own thoughts. So because of Jesus, when I look to Jesus as my good shepherd, when I'm following Jesus first and foremost and above all else, listening to the Holy Spirit, my advocate, my guide in truth, when I have this direct and powerful and personal relationship with God, and at the same time I experience an anxiety that is a life-directing sense of fear, that spirit of fear where it is becomes the driving force, one thing that I can know reasonably is that that did not come from God. Now, it may be partially based on some facts that need to be addressed. God doesn't call us to be foolish. I mean, as a person who likes adrenaline and has done some cliff jumping, it wasn't God that asked me to jump off the cliff into the water. (laughs) Right? And so in the same way, I grew up in a place where car theft was very, very common. So what you did reasonably was lock the doors. And recently, cars that have been stolen in Baltimore City were because they were left unlocked. It's a true story. So I think we should use reason, right? And I think that fear can be helpful. If I touch the hot stove, it's going to burn. I think in that sense. But a spirit of fear did not come from God. And wisdom says, when I deduce where something came from, I now have learned what I can do with it. When I deduce where something came from, I can learn what to do with it. So if God's not given you a controlling fear, a spirit of fear, but instead God has given you power, that means an ability that you do not have by yourself, and a God by love, and an ability to control your mind. If I'm struggling to control my thoughts, I need to ask God for help to control my thoughts, and I need to figure out what's going on. Did I have not enough sleep and too much caffeine, and am I focusing too much on deadlines and problems and spirit of fear and and wrong thoughts that are coming to me from social media? Do I need to shift my focus like a chiropractic adjustment? (laughs) You ever have those? I went through three chiropractors and settled on a physical therapist. I'm not really a whack and crack kind of... Well, actually, I kind of... I do like a good... Anyway, sometimes mentally we need a whack and crack, right? We need an adjustment to refocus ourselves on the right things, on the holy things. Philippians has a lot to say about this. But when I realize that a spirit of fear is controlling me, I need to deduce, is it because of reasonable things that need to be dealt with and dealt with in a good stewardship sort of way so that they're not controlling me, fear of those risk factors are not controlling me anymore, or is it something coming from my enemy and therefore, what does James say, I can resist my enemy and he will flee, right? So whether it's a temptation of sin or a spirit of fear, when I figure out where something came from, I know what to do with it. There is an enemy of your soul who has a mouth, who is a deceiver and a father of lies. Thank you, Pastor Ben. That was helpful and a little strange. All right. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, you see on the screen. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. And we will find grace to help us 
when we need it most. What this means is, when we come to God, what we can expect is help. Both, in the word mercy, not punishing me in the way that I deserve, and grace giving me His good love, which I do not deserve. God's love is available. His help is available to us. This is what we can expect from God reasonably. So we can say, I can find grace and mercy to help in the time of need. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18 says this, When we know that, God, that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely. And the evil one cannot touch them. You can reasonably say the enemy doesn't have power over you. You can say that because of your relationship with Jesus, I'm born of God. And the evil one cannot touch me. These are really helpful truths. So what can I expect from God as a Jesus follower? Well, love. Guidance in the future. Forgiveness, freedom from condemnation, and compulsion to repeat mistakes. Freedom. God is for us, and no one can stand against us. Nothing can take God's love away from us. I don't need to live in spiritual insecurity that God's going to wake up tomorrow morning ready to smack me around and punish me. Because in my relationship with Jesus, I confess my sin and I receive forgiveness. And as I receive forgiveness and new life, and a, are you sensing like a new spiritual passion? I don't need to walk around insecure. Insecurity affects a lot of things. Been a lot of good work done, early childhood development. We need. Security, identity, and a sense of belonging. God wants to provide you with transcendent, spiritual security, identity, and a sense of belonging. God has created you by design. A design that includes His desire to love you. When we are insecure, sometimes we gossip because we want to feel better about ourselves. When we are insecure, we can obsess on things that are not helpful to our peace of mind. When we are insecure about the things that matter most, anxiety and fear and other things can have a disproportionately negative effect on our everyday peace. It's not God's desire for you. He desires that you would be free from that and experience peace. Not peace based on fantasy. Are you with me? Peace based on knowing what to expect. I want to close with some practical suggestions, but first, I've, I've discovered a little game on my phone and may have spent a little too much time this weekend playing this game. And it's a puzzle game, which of course means that it's okay. And... <laughs> It's a puzzle game that gets you a few pieces to the puzzle for you to put on the puzzle, but then you don't know what puzzle pieces are coming next, and that gives me anxiety. <laughs> because bad surprises, puzzle pieces that are shaped in ways that are bigger than the spaces I have left, come! <laughs> 
God does not want us to walk around in spiritual anxiety. And I've been there expecting things to turn out bad. I used to live that way. You don't have to live that way. One of the ways to get out of it, it's not fantasy, it's not superstition. Searching the scriptures, using your brain to study who God has proven. It's more reliable than Amazon reviews. Hello? For centuries, people have been learning from this. Testing, seeking, who is this God? What can I expect in a relationship with God? This is the way to peel back the power of anxiety and insecurity and these things in your life. It works if you work it. So what should we do? All right, Pastor Ben, that was inspiring. What do we do about it? Well, number one, read the verses, and they're in your freedom book. They'll be available on the website. Post this. I can email them to you. Read these verses and ask yourself, what does that mean to you personally? Second, write out a truth that you believe is a result. So what do these verses mean to me? And then write out what is a truth that you believe is a result of this. Then third, live your life out of a thank you for that truth. Don't take my word for it. You get into it. You exercise your brain. Exercise your spirit muscles. You engage with this directly. That's the only way it's going to be meaningful to you. It may have just been some infotainment for you this morning. But it's only going to translate into a spiritually transformative experience when you engage with it. Write out a truth that you get from the verses. Live out of a thank you to God, out of delight, out of love for God as a result. Not obligation and dead religion and duty. Fourth, this is a little takes a little bit more psychological work, if you will. Identify... What is a lie that you have been believing? So, if one of my things is that I'm worried that God doesn't like me. Okay, sure, God sent Jesus, but he doesn't really like me because I'm a little weird. Listen, I've been called weird by lots of people. Some in this room. (laughs) Plenty of people in my childhood. I went years only wearing the color black. Skateboarding, wearing a dog collar. I've been called weird for good reasons. When you allow something like that to become a part of your identity, what can happen is you can say, okay, I checked the box, God loves me, salvation's available, but God doesn't really like me. God doesn't really enjoy being with me. But if I take the words of Jesus at face value, nothing can be further from the truth. Or maybe I'm, I've had a bad experience. I had a parent that was not predictable in a safe way. And so I really struggle with believing that any human can be safe. Well, that can prejudice us against God. What is the lie that I am believing? And I need to remove that lie with the truth. Number five, let this truth inform all your relationships and interactions. Will you stand with me? Let's close in prayer this morning. God, I thank you that your truth is forever. 
Your truth is transcendent. It's available to us. Uh, Lord, certainly applying these things are not easy for us. I ask for your help as we apply this truth. And as we do, help us to feel it, help us to sense it, help us to know it, help the truth click in our minds, in our spirits. Help us to be a good support to each other this week. Lord, a blessing to each other. I thank you for it, God. I thank you for who you are. In the name of Jesus, amen.